Welcome out to Keeping It Simple Wednesday night service. We are going through the letter to the Romans. Letter to the Romans. So we are in chapter 13 still. So this is our second lesson in this chapter. So if you want to open there, that will be great. And we will pray. Father God, we thank you once again for allowing us to be here. Thank you for your provision and protection Throughout this day, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers. Father, we pray for every ministry, every work that's going on on this campus tonight. We pray that you'll have your way. That, Lord, you will meet the need of every individual. We pray, Father, for the servants that that you'll empower your servants, that your servants will serve in your joy and in your love, and that you will be glorified on this campus tonight in every building and in every classroom. I pray for the gift of teaching and a fresh filling of your spirit. And I pray that all of us, Father, by being refreshed to your word and by your spirit, will leave here better than when we came in. So again, may you be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, Romans 13 And the lesson will come from verses 11 through 14. Now, in our previous lesson, we talked about the role of the governing authorities and how the Christians are to submit or be subject to those governing authorities, leaders in our government, and how Christians should be the best citizens. And we also talked about the never-ending debt of love. And this love is what we owe to each neighbor. And anybody could be our neighbor, as Jesus taught. Anybody in need, anybody we come in contact with can be our neighbor. And so we are always going to owe our neighbor love. It's never going to be paid off. And so we talked about that last week. And tonight, as we... Come to a close in Romans chapter 13. We're going to talk a little bit about fashion. But the fashion we're going to talk about is spiritual fashion. And we're going to learn what looks good all the time. What looks good all the time, first and foremost, to God. And so the title of tonight's lesson is, Who Are You Wearing? And so we begin in verse 11 of Romans 13. It says, and do this, that is being subject to governing authorities and loving others, knowing the time that now it is high time. Now is a critical time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And so the first question on the night is, do we know the time in which we're living? Do we know the time? Just to give you a hint, and you heard this many times before. Many of you, you dig into the scriptures. You spend time with the Lord on a daily basis. So for many of you, it's not new when I say this. What I'm going to say is that we're in the last days. And so for many of you, that is not new information. And thank God 
It's not new information to you because that means that you are awake out of sleep, out of a spiritual slumber. But how do we know this? How do we know that we're in the last days? How do we know that it's close to the time that Jesus is going to come back for his church, the bride of Christ, believers? And we call that event the rapture. We're in the last days. How do we know? So even right now, we're seeing the signs of the end of the age. We're seeing signs of Jesus's second coming that he talked about in Matthew 24. He talked about the signs of uh, the end of the age, things as we know it. And he talked about his second coming, his visible coming to the earth. Those are the questions that he addressed because his disciples wanted to know those things. And so we're seeing these signs. For example, we see that many are coming in his name, claiming to be Christ. And people are actually being deceived, thinking that these people really are some type of reincarnation or or coming of Jesus. We are hearing of wars and rumors of wars. These signs of his second coming of the end of the age. We, we, we hear about and see famines, people going hungry, starving, pestilences or diseases. How about earthquakes in various places, etc.? We can go on. If you read Matthew 24, so we see these signs from Matthew 24. Again, these are signs of the end of the age and of his second coming when he visibly comes back to the earth. And so we're seeing these things. And this is the first point I wanted to make of how we know we're in the last days. But the scripture tells us, specifically Jesus, he tells us that These things are just the beginning of sorrows. They're the beginning of sorrows. And if you look at the Greek word behind the English word sorrows, it means the pain of childbirth. It means labor pain. And so these signs will be more frequent and intense as the end of the age and Jesus' coming draws near. And speaking of labor pains, Poor wife of mine, four kids. Every time she told me she was pregnant, I I got scared like I did something wrong because I knew what was coming. And I don't know why I'm sharing this, but that first child of mine, he I I remember he was a natural birth and we got married young, 18 years old. And I remember him coming out, I remember his head looked like a, uh, some type of cone. <laughs> and I was just wondering to myself, I mean, and normally babies are cute. But I was like, okay, so this, this is my child. I'm, I'm, I'm going to love him anyway. Cone head and all. And so I think he had a, he had a nickname. I, I think they called him Peanut at first when he, when he first came out, but his head shaped up. So he's a good looking fellow right now. So praise God. But, but those labor pains, I have, you know, many of you women who have children, you know, you've experienced those labor pains. I saw my wife go through it and, and my goodness, ladies are tough. 
But anyway, that's how the, the, the signs are going to be. As this age, things as we know it and Jesus is coming draws near more frequent and more intense. So that's one reason we know that we are in the last days. Another reason we know that we're in the last days is because there's a moral decline. If you want to write this down or open up your Bibles, you can go to Second Timothy chapter three, verses one through five. It says, but. Know this, that in the last days, perilous or dangerous times will come. Notice the key words, last days. See this moral decline. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters or braggers, bragging on themselves, proud, blasphemers or or speaking evil, insulting God. They'll be disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. They want everybody else to forgive them, but they don't want to extend that forgiveness. They want to bring up the past from 20 years ago, something that God has already forgiven, something that's already been addressed, so to speak. Holding grudges, unforgiving, slanderers or gossipers without self-control. They'll be brutal. Another word for brutal is is savage. Despisers of good. They're going to hate what's good and those who represent good. And in verse four, it says traitors or betrayers, headstrong. So they'll be reckless. They'll be careless of consequences. They won't think first. They won't care about jail or anything like that. Headstrong. They'll be haughty or conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And it says here in 1 Timothy 3 verse 5. They'll have a form or the appearance of godliness. But denying its power. And from such people turn away. And so on the outside, they're going to pretend like they are believers, like they're godly, that like they're in a good standing or a good relationship with God. But they'll be denying the power thereof. So another reason that we know we're in the last days is because there's 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 scoffers today. As the scriptures tell us in Second Peter three, that they're going to be scoffers, people who mock The fact that Jesus is coming back. Where is this coming? They're going to say things are going on as they have always been. He hasn't come back yet. Where is this mighty God of yours? Where is this crucified Savior of yours? There will be scoffers, people who mock. We see that today. And another sign is the fact that there's many deceivers teaching false doctrines. False doctrines about Jesus and contradicting the testimony of the father of his son. God, the father tells us one thing about his son. And then they tell us something else that's not found in the scriptures. God, the father said that that this is his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. Then there's some who will make Jesus out to be someone crazy. That's different from the testimony of the father. 
Father would tell us that Jesus is the propitiation. He is the one who satisfied the wrath, the righteous wrath of God against sin. And because that wrath has been satisfied through Jesus' death on the cross, then we don't have to experience the wrath of God. That's if we are in Christ. That's why Romans 8, chapter 1 can tell us that there is no condemnation. For anybody who is in Christ Jesus, Jesus is our place of safety. But yet and still people would would have a different testimony of the father, pretty much calling God a father when they were calling God a liar, I should say. Whenever they reject the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Whenever they reject Jesus, they're calling God, the father, a liar. And then we see that even today, these last days, people departing from the faith. It's what we call apostasy. Now, these are people who profess to be Christians with their mouths. And they may hang, they may hang around the visible church, but never really were part of the true church that they're born into. So there's many people who profess to be Christians. But then... When, when the time comes, perhaps tribulation or whatever the case may be. And you, and you can see this example when Jesus talked about the, the, soil, the sower, the, the seeds and the different soils, those different soils, four different soils representing four different types of heart. And you see that for some people, the, you know, them wanting to, you know, gain riches, the cares of this world, they... You know, they say, forget Jesus, I'm going on with my life. I'm going after those riches. And so for some people, that persecution, that tribulation or whatever the case is, is turned up. Only excited for a time. But then out of those four soils, there was only one that actually produced fruit. And so there's going to be false converts, a part of the visible church. It's the key word, visible. And then they're going to say, well, I, I know I said I was this, but I'm not anymore. There's some people who think they could be Christian, Muslim, and Mormon at the same time. Or multiple, they, they would even miss, mix Christianity with Eastern religions. All at the same time, how can that be? It contradicts each other. Somebody has to be wrong. Somebody has to be right. And God is always right. So it's not him who's wrong. So people will be departing from the faith. Even John and first John, you know, he said this and and talking about these these little antichrists. These people who oppose Christ and teaching false things about Jesus and the father. He said this about them. They they went out from us because they really weren't a part of us. They hung with us for a little while. But when the time came, they it was manifested when they left that, hey, they really weren't a part of the church anyway. And so we're seeing this. Even today. And then, of course, another sign that we're in the last days. Because tonight or at this time, we're, we're talking about knowing the time, knowing the time in which we live. And so, again, we we see that there's some things that are related to the Jews today. And it lets us know once again, we're in the last days. These things related to the Jewish people. And one thing I want to start with, 
just to paint a picture. Just to clarify this point, I want to start with something called the tribulation period. Now, this tribulation period is the last week in Daniel's 70 week prophecy. It's found in Daniel chapter nine. And what you find out is that the Antichrist is going to confirm a covenant or an agreement with many of the Jewish people for one week. And each week in that 70 week prophecy represents a period of seven years. And so 69 weeks, 69 seven year periods, in other words, have already passed. Right now we're in the church age and that 70th week has not come yet. That is the tribulation period. The last week of Daniel's prophecy. And so what's going to start that tribulation period is this antichrist, this world leader. He's going to create some type of agreement or covenant with many of the Jewish people. And it's supposed to last seven years. But the scriptures tell us that in the middle of the week, that is at the three and a half year mark, there's going to be an event. And Jesus even quoted this in Matthew chapter 24. He quoted Daniel. And there's an event called the abomination of desolation. In other words, it's the abomination that causes desolation or destruction. And so this Antichrist, after making this agreement for a seven year period, this last 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, three and a half period, what he's going to do is set up an image of himself, have an image of himself set up in the rebuilt temple. And he's going to declare himself to be God. And so for that last three and a half years, of that 70th week of Daniel in the tribulation period, that last three and a half years, they're going to be extreme persecution of the Jews. And whoever does not worship this beast, this, this antichrist, they're going to be killed. In fact, they won't be able to buy or sell anything unless they have the mark of the beast. Pledging their allegiance to him. And there's also going to be this false prophet. This false prophet is going to get people, persuade people to worship this beast, this antichrist, this false Christ, this false Messiah. And so what we'll see during the tribulation period is a is a false trinity because the devil always wants to mimic God's work. See, God is a pure Trinity. He has a triune nature, father, son, the son is Jesus. And of course, Holy Spirit during the tribulation period, we're going to see an unholy Trinity. We'll see Satan who's going to give his power to the antichrist. And then the third member of that unholy Trinity will be that false prophet who's going to point people to this antichrist. And so that last three and a half years, you'll, you'll be able to count that. From the abomination of desolation, three and a half years, and then you'll see that Jesus is coming back. And the Jews will be ready to receive him. And they will. And how do I know Jesus will come back after the tribulation period? It's because he says it. 
Matthew 24, 29 through 30, he says immediately. Now, this is Jesus talking immediately after the tribulation of those days. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's after the seven year period, that final week in Daniel's 70 week prophecy. You know who's going to come back with them? The saints. But first, they have to be a rapture. We'll get to that. And so this information, because remember, we're talking about some signs of how we know we're in the last days. Okay, we want to be informed of what time we're living in. And so this information that I share with you tells us that there's going to be a third temple. If you were paying attention, there will be a third temple. There's not a temple right now destroyed in AD 70. AD 70 by the Romans destroyed. But there's going to be a third temple. And many Bible scholars believe that the Antichrist is going to allow them to rebuild their temple. And also to, to have sacrifices and offerings again. And then actually, even today, with the Jews, because remember I said that the things we see that are related to the Jews lets us know we're in the last days. There's actually Jews today who belong to the Temple Institute. You can go to it yourself. Templeinstitute.org. This is a nonprofit educational and religious organization. I put that in quotes. I took that from their website. And what they are in the progress of doing or in process of doing is recreating the sacred vessels and the priest garments. They're getting ready for another temple. And so they, so this, this, this is making it ripe for the Antichrist. And, and to tell you the truth, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. To tell you the truth. But, but as you see these things, these signs, see signs of the tribulation. Upcoming tribulation. You see signs of Jesus' second coming. We see the Jews preparing for this third temple. Many religious Jews. But here's the thing. If there's a temple, then the Jews, of course, would need to be in Israel. And when did that happen again? That happened in May, on May 14th, 1948. But then not only that, they would need to have access to Jerusalem, right? So that this prophecy would begin to fall into place even more of this upcoming third temple. Now they would need control over Jerusalem. Okay, that that happened. It came under their control once again in 1967. And so we are living in some exciting days. We are living in the last days. Do we know what time we're living in? Now, this is one thing I want to say. And the thing I want to say is we don't have a date of when the the tribulation and the second coming will happen. We don't have a date. No man knows. Therefore, we don't know when the rapture will happen. If we don't know when the tribulation will happen and when the second coming of Christ will happen, when we come back with him and he will visibly reign on this earth. For a thousand years, if we don't know exactly when that would happen, 
then once again, we don't know when the rapture will happen. There's nothing that needs to happen. No prophecy that needs to be fulfilled at this time for the rapture to happen. It can happen at any time. But if we are seeing signs of the end of the age, if we are seeing signs of the second coming, again, that's a hint to us, okay, the rapture must be even nearer. Rapture must be in the nearer. And here's one thing I want to share with you, because earlier I mentioned about this Antichrist. How when he signs that, when he confirms that covenant with the Jews for that final seven year period of Daniel's 70 week prophecy. Remember when I shared that to you. So if that starts the that last seven year period, that tribulation period. Look at what it says in Second Thessalonians 2. 7, 8 about the rapture. And this is why or one of the reasons why I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. It says for the mystery of lawlessness, speaking about this antichrist is already at work. So we see these things coming into place, falling into place. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, that's the antichrist will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. We can see that in Revelation 19, how easy it's going to be for Jesus to destroy him in that false prophet. But notice here that these verses, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 8, tell us, give us a hint that the rapture is going to happen prior to this Antichrist being revealed. And if that's the case, then the rapture will happen prior to the tribulation beginning. Now, we need to clear up some things. Who is he who now restrains? And and who and will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, first of all, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He can't be totally taken out of the way. That means removed and just disappear. He's omnipresent. Yeah, that, that's, that's part of his nature. But what it's talking about is his restraining ministry. And where is this restraining ministry? It is in the church. Believers. So in the church, believers, the body of Christ, there's this restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit and it's keeping the lid from all evil breaking loose. But when the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church is removed, that means the rapture of the church. We meet Jesus in the air. Jesus doesn't touch down in the rapture. We meet him in the air. Restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit removed. Then that lawless one, that Antichrist will be revealed. That's why I said I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. But we must... Again, know the times. And, and when we don't know the times, we become lackadaisical about the work of the Lord. When we don't know the times, the days in which we're living and that we're living in the last days, we become sloppy. And we won't care about the work of the Lord. We won't have that sense of urgency. We also become lackadaisical about sharing the gospel. The gospel that saves people, the only message that saves people. We become lackadaisical about that. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But we hold that back from people when we're like a days ago. Why? Because we don't know the urgency. We don't know the times. That's if we don't know the times. Not only that, but we become lackadaisical in our lifestyles. Now, I like what it says in 1 John 3, 3. It says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who has what hope? Everyone who has the hope of seeing Jesus and receiving our glorified bodies, the final stage of salvation. Those of us who have that hope in Jesus purify ourselves. What does that mean? That means we live a lifestyle that's pure because we expect him to come for us at any moment. And so we will not be lackadaisical in our lifestyles. In other words, if we understand the the the, the times that we're in. And so we have to wake up and, and, and since our salvation that is the final stage of our salvation is nearer than it used to be. Now is high time, the scripture tells us. And high time can also be translated critical time. So now that our salvation, the final stage, glorification is nearer than when we first believe. It's time to wake up and do what we're supposed to be doing. Doing the work of the Lord, whatever he called us to do. Sharing the gospel, living a pure lifestyle before him. We see urgency. Verses 12 and 13, back in Romans chapter 13, it says, The night is far spent. The night is nearly over. The day is at hand or almost here. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly or with decency as in the day, not in revelry, that's wild parties, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness, that's sexual promiscuity, not in lust, not in strife or quarreling, not in envy. So cast off those works of darkness, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. And so the night is a metaphor for the present evil age. This time we're living in right now that we're waiting for it to come to close, to a close. And of course, the day speaks of Christ's return. It's drawing near. And since we recognize or we should recognize that the present evil age is coming to a close. And that the day of Christ's return is coming. We're told to cast off the works of darkness. Now, in general, I, I, I just like that language, the works of darkness, because in general, people tend to do silly things in the dark. They, they tend to do things in the dark that they wouldn't do when the light is on. Wild parties, getting drunks, participating in shameful activities. Everybody sleep. Nobody can see me. And so people tend to do just crazy things, evil things in the dark. And so I like how it says to, to cast off the works of darkness. This evil age is coming to a close. And Jesus is coming back. He's going to come back to reign on this earth. There's some people who may not get drunk with alcohol, but maybe some people are drunk with pride. And just how drunkenness with alcohol can lead people 
to poor decisions. Being drunk with pride can influence people to make some crazy and some wrong decisions. Or or maybe somebody is in drunk with pride or maybe they're not drunk with alcohol, but maybe they're drunk with lust. And it's influencing them again to do something sinful, to do something crazy. So cast off the works of darkness. And then there's a cross reference for more examples of works of darkness. And then we can depend on the Holy Spirit to help us to cast these things off. And it says in Colossians 3 verses 8 and 9, it says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, that's rage, malice, that's ill will, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Works of darkness, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds, the old man, the old you, the old me that used to be controlled and overrun by the sin nature. Cast off those works of darkness. This evil age is coming to an end and Jesus is coming back. But instead, in verse 14 in Romans 13, we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision, make no plans, or give no opportunity for the flesh or our sinful nature to fulfill its lusts. In other words, don't make things harder on yourself. If something is tugging on your sin nature, then turn it off. If something is tugging on your sin nature, then cut off that group or that person that you're hanging with. If something is tugging on your sin nature, then then move away. Because if you feed the flesh, the flesh will want more. The flesh is just flat out greedy. And so don't make any provision for the flesh. But I want to point your attention most of all, since I promised you at the beginning, we're going to talk a little bit about fashion. Not that I'm, you can tell by the way I'm dressed, I'm not some kind of fashion expert. And so once again, we're talking about spiritual fashion. But the thing I want to point your attention to is at the beginning of verse 14 in Romans chapter 13. It says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, those two words put on in the Greek means to seek and to sink into. In other words, you are sinking into in the sense of sinking into clothing. You're clothing oneself. And there are, of course, many people in this world who like fashion. Many people in the United States and Hollywood, they they like fashion. And they tend to get their fashion tips. Even high school, even as early as elementary, they tend to get their fashion tips from the celebrities. Actors and singers and rappers and athletes. People like fashion these days. Nothing wrong with dressing nice. I'm just pointing out the obvious about many people. And then you, you see these award ceremonies, Oscars or whatever the case may be. And then you have these reporters as these actresses and these other famous people and actors as they begin to walk through with the clothes they're wearing. And the question these reporters would ask them is, who are you wearing? And so when they ask them, who are you wearing? They are asking them, what brand of clothing do they have on? What clothing are they supporting? What clothing, what brand are you wearing? 
And one of the intentions is to give fans and people who admire them the inside scoop on what's cool to wear. And maybe one of their reasons for asking these celebrities this question is to give fans some sort of idea of how rich this person is. Oh, this person is wearing no shoes, $300 pairs of shoes, $500 pair of shoes. I have to get some of those and I'm going to bug my parents. And if my parents don't get those shoes for me, then they're horrible parents. (laughs) Or maybe these reporters ask those questions. Who are you wearing? Because... It just creates this desire. Many fans to want to copy them and perhaps gain some admirers on their own and take the selfies, put it on Facebook or whatever the case may be, whatever other social media things out there. Snapchat to say, look what I have. I have this just like this one actor, just like this one singer. So maybe that question is to create that type of desire within the fans, within the admirers. What many don't know is that for many of these celebrities, these clothings, these these things that they're wearing, you know, making them look bright and shiny, whatever the case is, they they sometimes are hiding what's really underneath. And so you see many of them, they turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol. Many of them even attempt suicide and sad to say are even successful at killing themselves. Look good on the outside with their fashion, their name brand clothing, but on the inside or underneath, they're worse off than the poor person who has Jesus. But yet and still the, the, the reporters would ask them, who are you wearing to impress the viewers? Who are you wearing? And so the question for us today is who are we wearing? Are we wearing the flesh? Are we wearing the Lord Jesus Christ? And if we're wearing the Lord Jesus Christ, as the scriptures tell us in verse 12, then we are wearing the armor of light. If we're wearing Jesus. So who are you wearing? And to put on Jesus Christ doesn't cost anything, doesn't cost us anything. It costs us a loss of pride because now we realize how 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 poor we are. How spiritually poor we are. We surrender our lives to him. We repent to him. We see how much of a sinner we are. Confess our sins. Repent. So money wise. To put on Jesus Christ is free. Just takes a decision on our part. But on the other side of that. To put on the flesh is free too. And again, just like it takes a decision to put on Christ on a daily basis for you believers. For us believers here. Just like it takes a daily decision for that, it takes a daily t- decision to give in to the flesh, to wear the flesh. Now, I believe some of us can admit that there are some outfits, literal outfits today that we just don't look good in. Could be expensive or not. Why do you have that on? Thank God for my wife who bought me some cool shirts. So if I wear a cool shirt every now and then, thank my wife. But there's some things that, that, that some people wear and we don't look good in them either way, expensive or not, muscular or not. And likewise, spiritually speaking, our old life does not, I repeat, does not look good on us. The scripture says in first Peter four, three, for he, we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. That's the pagans, the unbelievers. When we walked in lewdness, shamelessness, obscenity, 
We walked in lust, drunkenness, revelries, these wild parties, these drinking parties and abominable idolatries. And so we see there that that's not a good look. You've been wearing that in the past. You wore that in the past life. B.C., before Christ. You just didn't you just didn't look good in it then. And as a believer, you don't look good now. Not in that old man, that old you not dressed up in the flesh. And so for some people tonight, it's, it's time for a new outfit. It's time for a new outfit. In other words, put on Jesus as the scripture tells us in Romans 13, 14. And the thing about putting on Jesus is that Jesus always looks good on you. Jesus always looks good on you. So when you are loving other people as Jesus loved other people and still loves people today, then guess what? You are wearing Jesus and Jesus looks good on you. Or when you extending mercy to someone, when you are sending grace to someone, when you're not condemning people, then guess what? You're wearing Jesus and he looks good on you. When you are forgiving people as Jesus was hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When you extend that same forgiveness to people who offended you just like Jesus did, then then you're wearing Jesus and it looks good on you. He will never look bad on you if you're wearing Jesus. Or how about if you're doing the Father's will because Jesus says the, 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 the person who does the will of the Father, that's his brother, that's his sister, that's his mother. In other words, he's saying, that is my family member, the person who does the will of the Father. And if we do the will of the Father like Jesus did the will of the Father, then you have on Jesus and he looks good on you. When you are unselfish. Like Jesus was unselfish. He could have stayed in glory, but in his, in his thinking about others, him being unselfish, having that agape love. What did he do? He came down from glory, took upon himself a human body. He, he came as a servant and he served. He says the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so when we are showing that same unselfishness in our lives, then Again, we're wearing Jesus. And guess what? Jesus looks good on you. Putting him on will always look good on you. And what happens when we wear him? Well, if you remember earlier in our study, one of the results that happens when we wear him can be found in verse 13. What we'll end up doing is walking or living properly as in the day. As the worship team comes to the stage. I like what one translation says about verse 13. It says, let us walk with decency. As in the daytime. You see, in the daytime, when everybody could see us, most people, most people will behave themselves because people could see them. Cars are driving by. In the daytime. And so they're going to walk properly. They're going to walk with some type of decency. And so I like this. This spiritual language here. 
that, that, that when we wear Jesus, we are walking or living properly as in the daytime. And so spiritually speaking, when we're living a life of, of Jesus Christ, and notice the Holy Spirit is working that out in and through us. When we're mimicking Jesus Christ's lifestyle, wearing Jesus, we won't mind other people seeing that. It's like in the daytime, we're behaving ourselves, doing what we're supposed to be doing. We don't mind other people seeing that. And so that's what happens when we wear Jesus. Be unashamed of that lifestyle, or at least we should be unashamed of that lifestyle of wearing Jesus. And I like what it says in Matthew 5, and this is our last couple scriptures of the night, or three scriptures of the night in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. And, and this just supports the point that, that having on Christ, wearing Christ, putting him on, sinking into him. Is that it's something that we shouldn't be ashamed of? We'll, we'll see that in, in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, supporting that point. It says, you are the light of the world. This is Jesus talking to believers. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men. Or to stick with our lesson, I can say, put on Christ before men. Let your light so shine before men. As if you're walking in the daytime. Walking properly in the daytime so that they will see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So that's why we shouldn't be ashamed of putting on Christ. Mimicking his lifestyle, because at the end of the day, the goal is for people to praise or to glorify our father in heaven. Because people will realize man, maybe I've been praying for that person this whole time to change his life, to change her life. Oh, this person used to be so bad, but, but look at how they change. They say they're, they've been reading the Bible. They say they are involved with this Jesus. They say that they have a heavenly father. Well, I couldn't change him. Suspensions in school couldn't change this person. These self-help books couldn't change this person. Spankings didn't change this person. But wow, this person has changed. Their, their light is shining. They, they have on something they didn't have before. They, they, they don't have that old man anymore. They're not wearing the old man anymore. They're, they're putting on Jesus Christ. And so this father that they say they have, we praise him. As a matter of fact, some of these people may say as they see you live a life of heaven on Christ, some of them may ask you, who are you wearing? And that's an opportunity for you to share the gospel with them. That the same fashion that you have, the same Jesus that you put on, that they can put them on too. And it all starts with confessing their sins, repenting, putting their faith in Christ. Personal relationship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that, that we don't have to live this life on our own. That your Holy Spirit indwells us and, and lives this Christ-like um, and, and just works through us to help us to live this Christ-like life. We thank you for that, Lord. Maybe some of us been struggling tonight. 
We've been looking more like the the old us is on. I pray that by the power of your spirit that you deliver my brother, my sister from that weakness. That you give them wisdom of how to not make provision for his or her flesh. And I pray that you would give them the mindset to sink into Jesus, to put on Jesus every day. I pray that for each and every one of us in here. Father, we would, as we put on Christ, let our light shine. That people will see our good works. That you're working through our lives. And Lord, that they won't glorify us as if we changed ourselves. But Father, that they will glorify you. Our Father who is in heaven. I pray for anybody tonight who's not a believer. I pray that you would tug on their hearts. That you would draw them to Jesus by your spirit, by your love. Your word says that where sin abounded, that your grace super abounded no sin can outrun your grace and that forgiveness is there for everyone who will receive your son so if there's anyone tonight Lord I pray that they'll come forward after the service and I pray for my brothers and sisters that you will bless the remainder of their week. That those who have been consistently put in on Jesus will continue by your grace on a daily basis to continue to put on Jesus. And may you bless them, Lord, on their way back home and use them in a mighty way throughout this week. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming out. Uh, If you need prayer. (laughs) If you need prayer, we'll we'll be here to pray with you. Um, Joe, you're going to help out? Brother Joe, I'll be here. God bless you. Thank you.
Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. us to be clothed in humility and clothed in Jesus Christ where people would look at us and say something's different about them. I want that joy, that peace, that power that they have. Thank you, Lord. Bless us all as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.